All right, so what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup on WNTH 88.1 FM, and I am here with the godfather of hockey broadcasting himself, Mike Emmerich, who goes by Doc Emmerich of NHL on NBC Sports. Doc, how are you today? Frank, I'm good. It's nice to talk to you. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. Um, just, It's a dream come true to have someone of your caliber on. And yeah, I'm, so do I get a question? Yes, absolutely. Okay. What's the history of the Tomahawk Roundup? I want to know this. So the history of the Tomahawk Roundup, um, I started out as a Blackhawks recap show a couple years back, my sophomore year. And I was in Minnesota uh, on a family vacation, and I ran into an alum of my high school, Tommy Wingles, at a hotel. Tommy Wingle? Yeah, I ran Miami into... Miami University? Yep, and he went to New Trier as well. So he, he went to New Trier, and I asked him for an interview, and he did an interview about 90 seconds long, and that's when I realized the expansiveness of what I could do with the Tomahawk Roundup. And after I did that, you know, I reached out to some people. I actually got your partner to come on, Eddie Olchek, which we'll talk about later. Um, Eddie came on my show about a year ago to the day in January. How about that? Tommy Wingles and I actually had, we actually had a wager, but a wager usually has to go both ways. But the, the deal was that if Tommy, he and I both went to Miami, and if Tommy ever scored a, scored a goal on an NBC broadcast, I would sing the school song. Uh, it never happened, and uh, I guess I would, I, I am realized that I only knew the first couple of lines because it had been 50 years since I was there. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it never took place. But uh, then again, he may make a return someday and I may still owe him. I don't know. Absolutely. No, this, yeah, this Tomahawk Roundup, it kind of took off. And then last year I was asked by the Nutrier Hockey Club, uh, the one of the best hockey programs, if not the best hockey program in the state of Illinois, uh, under Amateur Hockey Association of Illinois, to do public address announcement for their games. And I, of course, accepted. I was in the broadcast booth at uh, the United Center for the state championship, which they beat Loyola in, two to nothing. And then this year, you know, I just kept getting phone calls. And I, it's, this has really been the pinnacle of is just having you on. So I want to thank you again for coming on. Okay, well, it's your turn to ask a yeah. question, and then I get another. Yeah, so how? So I've interviewed your partner on NBC, Eddie Olchek. So what does he bring to the table as a color commentator with his energy and expertise and knowledge of the game? Well, he has, and, and, and his partner there in Chicago, Pat Foley, has always uh, said this, that one of the blessings that Eddie has is probably God-given, and that is a photographic memory. And, of course, I always counter Pat by saying, Pat, if he has a photographic memory, why does he need to go out and buy a racing form? Uh, but I think part of the reason is he wants to have, uh, he wants to have the, the list of horses in front of him, even though he probably could remember it if he ever saw it. But what that does is it helps him, as soon as a goal is scored, to recall immediately the play that took place. And regardless of whether he's going to see those, those angles for the first time or not, and usually... It is for the first time. He knows exactly what happened and when, and uh, and can describe to people what caused the breakdown defensively or what caused the offensive opportunity that led to the goal be scored. Not everybody has that, uh, but he does. But 
personally, the advantage that he has for me is that he's he's always a great support and encouragement. And I think it always helps. And all the way back through the years, I've really been fortunate to have uh, color commentators to work with all the way back through the IHL that were great people and were likable people. Always helps to work with people that you like. And uh, there's no more likable guy that you could work with than Eddie O. Absolutely. Now, uh, do you have any questions for me now? It's your turn. Uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, what are the first two lines of the new Trier fight song? So, the first two lines of the new Trier fight song, it's, Here's to our school, it's the blue, gray, green, and gray, and may we always hail. So... What is the nickname of the team? It's the Trevians, but we go by green because with Nutri Hockey, it's very interesting because we have four varsity teams. We have, in descending order from highest to lowest, we have green, blue, white, gray. And that's because there's so many kids at Nutrier, that's the way that's the way it works. You know, the top guys will make green, that those will be your juniors, seniors, a handful of sophomores. And the blue will be your just runner-ups and runner-ups for the the teams that didn't make it. What are Trevians? Trevians are a German soldier. I just found this out last week. Of uh, Trevians are a German soldier from the city of Trier, Germany, and that's all I know about it. Okay. Well. Uh, okay. Your turn. Yeah. So I want to take you back to. The call that got me into broadcasting, um, doing play-by-play, I think from like uh, from going from like PA announcing to play-by-play, um, it's the day, it's the drive by Girardi, 2015 Eastern Conference second round, drive by Dan Girardi, step on in overtime, the Rangers move on to Tampa. What was the creative genius behind such an iconic call? I have no idea. <laughs> you know the thing of it is. It's wonderful of you to remember that, but the thing of it is, there are no conspired calls that I have. I don't have anything that I do. Once in a while, uh, when a shot that is really close uh, hits the post, I'll say something like, hit the post with a shot, but I don't have any signature calls. Uh, I don't have any unusual things that I do, and I leave it for other folks like yourself to judge my work. I don't do it myself. There are some days I come away feeling like, okay, I didn't get in the way very much, and I hope people enjoyed the game, and I didn't block their enjoyment of it. But uh, I leave that to folks like you. No, I didn't have anything fabricated I was going to say. Usually, uh, the great broadcaster Dick Enberg always said, the best ad-libs sometimes are written down. There have been a couple occasions in my life when I have had things written down to say, uh, and I either got to them or I didn't. Usually it's in a potentially cup-clinching game. Yeah. But in the, in the, Girardi, uh, in the Girardi shot, no, there, there was nothing uh, that was premeditated about that. It's just, it, it's spontaneous, and it's what comes uh, from your eyes to your brain and out your mouth. Yeah. There's some days it goes real well, and other days it doesn't. It's like any other line of work. You have your days, and you have your days. Yeah, I have those days, you know, the good days, the bad days, the ugly days, but I just wanted to touch on that one for me because I remember sitting in my living room just watching that, and that's what just tipped the scales. Like, I knew I wanted to go into either law or 
or sports journalism. And that tipped the scale because it's like, you know what, I can have so much fun doing this, just rewatching it time and time again. That's what I will watch every time before I go on a PA announcement. So big thank you for that iconic well, I moment. I started doing PA when I was in high school too. Uh, and I, I've always advised uh, folks younger than you. As a matter of fact, there's a young man in Chicago who is nine. Uh, I, I advise to do anything in his school that no one else wanted to do because usually there aren't a lot of volunteers for things that cause you to be nervous. And you're going to make mistakes, of course, but better to make them when you're younger and there aren't as much in the way of consequences to. And so when I was a sophomore in high school, I volunteered to do the public address announcements for, for basketball. And, of course, in Indiana, that's a household. You've got all the parents there. And you want to make sure you say every kid's names, name right, and you get the number of fouls correct and how many shots he's going to have, whether it's two or whether it's a one-on-one, uh, all of that. And so you're pretty much on display. Yeah. Well, one of the things that came from that, and it might actually happen to you the same way, was that there was a local radio station that had local newscasts seven days a week. The woman who did it five days a week oftentimes had to work on weekends because she couldn't find anybody to do Saturday and Sunday. And she was one of the patrons of the school. And she thought I sounded pretty good. And so she offered me the job of doing the Saturday and Sunday noon news reports locally on this 1,000-watt daytime radio station. It signed off at, uh, at local sunset. And so for $5 a day, which to a high school junior seemed like a lot of money, um, for $5 a day, I was on commercial radio. And that was 50-some years ago. So out of volunteering, once in a while, something happens that works your way. So good for you that you're doing that. Yeah, thank you. I do the PA. I volunteer every time I can, you know. I'll go to the Loyola O'Grady Thanksgiving tournament. They they had hired somebody to broadcast for them, but they said, all right, let's we'll have you do the Nutria games, and then we'll see about you doing the semifinals. And they said, you know what? We really like what you're doing here. We're going to put you in for the guy that we hired. So it was really just, it's like you said, the volunteer work can go a long way, and I couldn't agree with you more. So question for you, what was the transition like from broadcasting with the New Jersey Devils to being the full-time play-by-play broadcaster for NBC? Not much. And the reason for that is that when you are doing a New York area team, rather than a team that is the only team in a city, such as Philadelphia, where I've worked before, uh, you are broadcasting to a region that has fans of several teams, not just the Islanders, Rangers, and Devils, but also New York is a cosmopolitan area where people from all over the world, but more specifically for hockey fans all over North America, have come to live and work. So you're broadcasting to fans of a lot of teams who are just coincidentally watching the Devils. And working for Madison Square Garden, they wanted as close to a network call as as possible. Now, the difference was that when you were doing a game for NBC, you were doing 50% of one team and 50% of your time devoted to the other if you were focusing on only one team or one player from one team. With the Devils, you might talk about the Devils 70 to 80% of the time and the other team 20% of the time. 
But in terms of partiality, they wanted you to be fair uh, because you were in that region and you were doing a game to everybody. And so the transition there was not a difficult one to make at all. And I think that's probably the advantage of working in a multiple team town and also in New York where the philosophy is uh, we don't want you to be partial. Now, the perception always of a broadcaster who follows one team all year from the fans who hate that team is that he's biased. But I think that the philosophy that Madison Square Garden Network had and that uh, Lou Lamorello had when I first went there, he had input in the decision. And he said, if you can't speak your mind and, and you can't say what you think, you're not going to be very good for me. And so I was very fortunate to have that philosophy present even before I got there. Yeah, yeah, obviously, you know, I speak my mind, you know, I did Congress debate and I got into the public speaking. So I'm not afraid to say, you know, hey, you know, this was a this was a terrible pass. You know, this is a suicide pass by so and so. And that set up a goal. Yeah, do you have a yeah, fortunately, um, I just took a drink of water here. Sorry. No, don't worry about what it. What happens when you have uh, analysts working with you that that becomes their role. But uh, you, you do need that freedom. And, of course, you know, a network like NBC gives you that entirely. So it's not a it's never an issue there. But sometimes when you're working for a team rather than for a network, um, you do need to know sometimes where the rocks are as you are in the middle of the lake trying to get to shore, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. So what do you have a question for me now? Uh, I'm out. No, so I, I should have researched your background before I got on here, or I had a, I would have had more questions. No, I know you have a certain length of time devoted to this too. No, don't worry about it. I can I can cut into any time that's good for you, Doc. So I wanted to ask you uh, one more question, and then anything you wanted to say to our listeners before we headed out. So how do you come up with such new vocabulary, such as like skittered, waffleboarded, pitchfork, in the heat of the moment? I mean, people have compared you to the the 2000s Shakespeare, if you will. How do you do that? <laughs> no, there was absolutely nothing conspiratorial about it. Just a lot of it is, is just how I talk anyway. When I was in fifth grade, I had a teacher who said, any word that you use five times becomes yours for life. And I was encouraged by, in, when I was just getting into the professional hockey business, by an announcer who had done the games in Dayton in the IHL and actually worked in Washington for one year named Lyle Steak, to use different words to describe the same thing. He said, in hockey, we have so many repetitive actions that if you say, dump the puck in from center ice every time somebody does that, uh, you're going to drive people nuts. Uh, come up with different ways to say it. Now, I didn't write them down, but through the span of 47 years from the time that he told me that, of doing over 3,700 games, you do wind up with different ways of saying things. And so a lot of it is just through the raw number of games that I've done. Uh, I don't try to call attention to myself by doing it, but it's just the way I talk. My dogs don't understand me. Yeah. But I try to keep things simple for them. I try not to be affected or to draw attention to myself in doing it. But that's just the way that I, that I talk. And so... Um, it's not a, 
anything that I really try to put on airs about. Uh, it's just me watching a hockey game and reacting to it in uh, in the way that I would. And I try not to use the same descriptive way of, of uh, the puck movement more than once or twice in a game. So I'll try to mix up the language a little bit. Uh, but that's, I guess, the best answer I have to your question. Yeah, no, and one more thing for our Blackhawk fans that are listening. What is your favorite Blackhawks moment that you've ever broadcast? And tell us about it, the, the, the play that set it up for our listeners who haven't watched um, in a little bit. Just get us into that moment. Oh, um, well, I'm just uh, flashing back here. Let's see, the last time... You know, when a, when a team wins the Stanley Cup, it's always best if they win it at home, but we don't have very many occasions that that happens. And I would say uh, the last time the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup was in 15. Mm-hmm. And I remember the two scoring plays that did it against Tampa Bay. Duncan Keith came down the right side, fired a shot that was stopped uh, by Ben Bishop, but the rebound he smoked home. And that made it one nothing. And then there was a there was a wonderful, I believe it was two on one break, and the pack, pass came across to Patrick Kane. Yeah, I remember and that. He he yeah he fired it home. And uh, I think it was about that time that the twenty two thousand in the stands thought we're going to have a nice long night celebrating this, which they did. And it was a, a rotten night weather wise. There were tornadoes. There was torrential rain. There was high wind. In truth, the Stanley Cup did not arrive by the time the final horn sounded. Usually we have this dramatic picture of it, of it down below being taken out of its case. It did not get there because of the high winds and the rain and, and the threat of tornadoes and the uh, one of the, the major expressways that led down to United Center was closed. Uh, so there was a little penalty killing going on after the horn sounded, and they let the Blackhawks celebrate long onto the uh, United Center ice. But then finally the Tom Smythe and the Stanley Cup did arrive and they could go on with the celebration. But that was a memorable night for me, I think, and uh, and certainly for Hawks fans. Absolutely. I remember the call. It's like, back to Richards, to Kane, he scores! And I remember that being when I just lost it. And I just thank you again for your contributions to Nutra Radio, WNTH, Nutra Hockey, um, really excited about that. Doc, is there anything else you want to say before we head out? No, I, I just think it's a marvelous sport, isn't it? And I think that people who get a chance to see it for the first time live, regardless of whether they see it at United Center or they see the Wolves or they see a, a college team play or, or they see uh, a, a youth hockey game down at Johnny's Ice House, wherever they happen to see it for the first time, and usually, given the, the plethora of hockey teams around Chicago, it's probably when they're four years old when they see their first game. It's a magnificent sport. It's wonderful to watch. And for all folks like your sons who love it and help other people love it, good for them. All right. Signing off with Doc Emmerich, Frank Zorowski of the Tomahawk Roundup, Doc Emmerich of NBC Sports. Doc, thank you so much. Okay. Take care.